0: I don't think it's ironic that every proposal from the left makes you poorer, makes you more miserable, and kills more people, right? That is the, that is the end product of of almost every left wing proposal is a is a poorer nation, a weaker nation, and a more dead nation. I don't know how else to right. say it. They they want destruction. They hate human beings. They think that we're all pollution. And they definitely, as much as they tell us they love democracy, every time they say they love something, you can bet that they actually hate it and want
1: to destroy it. Patriots, let's talk about the culture war. Uh, I am firmly of the belief, by the way, that it's not really optional whether or not we want to participate in the culture war because the left has declared a culture war upon us, and the left assaults us at every turn, uh, from kids in school, to universities, to the workplace, to the media. Um, And to me, it's not really an option of whether or not we choose to engage. It's either get buried by the left, and we've seen far too much of that, or... Uh, Mount a counteroffensive, mount a a counteroffensive against the toxic secular humanist left and a culture warrior who is doing that and doing that really effectively is my good friend, Terry Schilling, the founder of the American Principles Project. Terry, are you uh, are you okay with that description of, of calling you a cultural warrior? I
0: love it, uh, Steve, and and you know me well. Uh, We've we've been friends for a while now, and I love fighting, and I love fighting for the things that I love, right? That's what we're called called to do is to lay down our lives for the things that – we value and we value our country we value God um, but where APP fills the gap is we fight for our families and right? we fight for our right. children we fight for other parents and their ability to you know uh, direct the upbringing of their children make health care decisions for them make education decisions for them um, children uh, it's uncomfortable for the left but children belong to their parents you know we're right. the ones that created them we're the ones that are there day and night with them. We, we know them better than anyone. We love them better than anyone. Um, and um, they're jealous of that because they're not procreating. And so because they're not making kids of their own, because they view that as, uh, they view people as pollution, they have to try and get to our kids to corrupt them. Well, how do they do that? Well, they subvert parental authority. They subvert our ability to control the education and what our children are exposed to. And that's what we're seeing across the board is they're just, everything is being thrown at our children children. And they're, they're trying to make it very difficult to be a parent. You know, Steve, you and I have talked a lot about this. It takes two incomes and then some just to support a family today. That's, that can't, that's not sustainable. Um, right. So they keep parents busy while throwing lots of pollution and garbage at our kids just to corrupt their souls, corrupt their minds, and, and ultimately corrupt their bodies and and, and kill them. Um, and so we have to fight on the front lines for this. The, the family is everything. How the
1: family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world. Right. You know, I'm glad you made that point, by the way, that eventually uh, the demographics are such that we are going to literally outbreed uh, the left. Right. Because they are childless, because they don't believe in procreation, because they turned abortion into practically a sacrament. Um, of their sick, you know, pagan religion, uh, eventually we we will win numerically. But in the meantime, the assault on our children is so real um, and so pernicious that we that we have to fight back. We can't just uh, in a relaxed way wait uh, for those numbers to work in our favor. We need to protect our, our children right now. Speaking of children, now, uh, I want to ask you about this because you came from a very big family. You have now a large family of your own. So you're obviously um, a big fan of children not just in theory, uh, but actually in practice. And I was really heartened to to see this because you know terry there's so much bad news particularly culturally out there and we certainly cover it you know on this show and it's important for us to to recognize uh, when trends are really harmful to our society uh, so that we can reverse them, not that, so that we wallow in the misery, but so that we understand what's wrong. Uh, why is this happening? How do we change it? But this is this is a, an example of a really positive trend. And uh, I'm going to show this for the audience. I don't think you'll be able to see it, Terry, but show this for the audience. This is a Gallup poll on ideal family size. And this poll goes all the way back to the 1930s. Uh, and as a, as a data geek, as somebody who really consumes polls, uh, you know, very, carefully uh, I love it when I find a poll with this kind of history because that's quite rare frankly they have a poll that goes back almost 100 years and back then when the, when the poll started not surprisingly uh, they asked how many children what's your ideal family size three or more children got a super majority back then in, in this 60 percent and it got as high as almost 80 percent around the time of World War II uh, those saying that's three or more children those saying that they only want one or two children back then was at 35 percent Uh, not surprisingly though, this changed very, very dramatically. Uh, and the audience can see where the lines cross in the late 1960s, not surprising, uh, given the societal tumult, uh, and the, the, you know, sexual revolution and, and all of the, uh, toxic leftist nonsense of the 1960s that these lines cross. But the good news is, Uh, They appear ready to cross again in favor of more children. And right now, today, according to Gallup poll, we are at a 50-year high, a five-decade high in the percentage of Americans saying that their ideal family size is three or more children, 45%. Terry, I was honestly pleasantly surprised to see this. Now, that's their ideal. They're not having three or more children, unfortunately, and I think policy is is a huge part of that. Um, But isn't this a reason for us to actually be to be optimistic that uh, that there is a pro child groundswell out there as reported by Gallup in this poll?
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely reason to be optimistic, but more importantly than that, Steve, it's a reason for us to continue fighting, mm. right? It's a reason for us to continue carrying the banner. If those numbers were continuing to drop, it would be very difficult to keep people motivated and fighting on the front lines for our parental rights at the school board meetings and in Congress, all of that. And so, these types of trends, I think, are a correction, right? Uh, there, there was, an, I think, if you dig deeper into that that survey. Like the vast majority of people actually want to have at least some kids. Right. So like what the left does and what we've insanely what we've done is we put all of these people in charge of these really important institutions in our country. Right. Uh, but they don't represent the American people. If you were to survey, you know, professors at Ivy League universities they, I guarantee you, these numbers will be completely reversed. It would be 95% of those professors at elite Ivy League universities saying, no, we shouldn't have, be having any children at all. You should have to apply for a license in order to be able to procreate. Right. Um, and they just don't represent us. And that's just that's just the universities. We're not even including Hollywood or corporate America. They're all just so out of touch. But what that what this polling gives me hope in is, is in the truth. And the truth is that the family is beautiful. Uh, children are beautiful beautiful. They are something that we all intrinsically desire. And we can try and fill that, uh, that void, that, that want for children with other things like climbing mountains or going to Europe or getting that extra degree that's meaningless and worthless, uh, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. But you're still at the end of the day, not going to feel as good as when I come home and I have six of my kids calling my name and being so excited that I'm home, right? There's something right. really positive pleasant about getting home from work and having your wife there and your kids excited to see you and playing with them there is nothing that i've been to europe steve i've been to italy i've been to hungary i've been i've been a lot of places i've done a lot of great things in my life i've seen this entire country but nothing beats the feeling that I get when I come home and my kids want to hang out and play. There's just no replacing it. And so all these right. people, they're just listless vessels floating around and they won't they won't actually find that fullness and they won't actually be happy until they get serious and start prioritizing their family. Your career, everything, your college degree, it's not meant for you. It's meant to provide for your family. Your family is your legacy, not your college degree. No one's going to remember you at Google. You could read, you could become the CEO of Google and in a hundred years, no one's going to know who the hell you are, but your great, great grandchildren will, and they'll know who you are and what you were about and what you did. And so I I just think we got to get back to basics. We can turn this country around, but it's going to get, it's not going to be from being more complicated than the left or being more strategic. We just have to be more faithful. We have to prioritize the things that are worth prioritizing. And that is the next generation of America. And that only comes from parents who are, you know, raising their kids and, and, and making them kiss <laughs> yeah yeah,
1: Amen, and you know, look, I mean, I think you're exactly correct. We are clearly hardwired that way by the Almighty uh, to continue the species, to continue humanity. Uh, we are we are predisposed to wanting children and and to wanting, frankly, a lot of children. And I listen. I think both the the hardest and most wonderful thing you can do in your life is to get married and to have a lot of children. Right? It's the most difficult task. It's the most rewarding task uh, that you can take on in your life. And uh, you know, I would also uh, for the young folks out there who might be watching who are perhaps on the fence. I don't know if I want to get married or I don't know if I want to have children. I only want to have one at at most, you know, something like that. Uh, You know, to your point about these experiences that you think are so rich and so deep um, in the end, they are not. And I promise you this. And and I'm stealing a line from somebody that I read online. But uh, your parents, for example, if you're if you're 20 something, 30 something, uh, your parents, they don't want to go with you to a champagne brunch. They want grandchildren. Okay, that's what they want. Not not the mimosa brunch uh, that looks cool on Instagram. Right. I mean, uh, do do, do you agree? And would that be your you're in your 30s? Is that the advice you would give to your your cohorts?
0: You know, I, you're you're not kidding. I, I, I mean, sorry, I'm not kidding. I was just having this conversation with my children. So unfortunately, we lost my mother-in-law who was just a golden soul, wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she would always tease me every time I get my wife pregnant. She'd be like, oh my God, stay away from her. But she was, <laughs> she loved the grandkids. But my son Bobby was talking to me about how many kids he should have. And I said, listen, you don't have an option. I need, I'm going to, I want to have 10 kids. I want to have a hundred grandkids. I need to have thousand great grandkids, right? We got to turn this country. I was obviously kidding, but um, yeah, no, there's actually a lot of surveys that show that uh, grandchildren, uh, people that have grandchildren, a lot of them are like the happiest people in the world um, that, and there's actually physical health benefits to having and being surrounded by your grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. They've actually had cases where dementia will start to recede once the the grandfather or grandmother is around their grandchildren for Extended periods of time. It, it, it really does bring energy and it's life, right? You can't talk about lives mattering if we're not creating new lives. Um, you can't, you know, why do we have this world in the first place? Why do we protect the environment? Well, we got to protect the environment because we need people to be able to live on this planet. The earth is made for us, like companies are made for us. It's all meant so that we can all have easier and better and more fulfilling lives. Um, but the, the left doesn't agree with us on this, right? The left. Left actually thinks that human beings are pollution. We're contributing to climate change. Uh, you know, who cares? right? It, it, who cares if there's an earth that no one's allowed to live on? It's, it's pointless, right? Uh, let's just do what we can to make sure that there, there are, our water's not giving people cancer, our air's not doing the same thing, um, and we'll be fine. That We've had seven ice ages, right? It's not going to matter. We had seven ice ages before human beings were even on this planet, right? It's, right. Um, it's all very obvious. They just want destruction, but you can't argue to destroy humanity. You can't argue to destroy the, the world and everything that we've built and set up uh, without, Having some crisis that you're pushing towards, and and these are the crises they're pushing towards. Um, it all. I don't think it's ironic that every proposal from the left makes you poorer, makes you more miserable, and kills more people. Right. That is the, that is the end product of of almost every left wing proposal is a is a poorer nation, a weaker nation, and. A, a, a more dead nation I don't know how else to right. say
1: it um,
0: sure. They they want destruction, they hate human beings They think that we're all pollution And they definitely, as much as they tell us They love democracy, every time they say they love Something, you can bet that they actually Hate it and want to destroy it, when they say we love Democracy and, and Republicans hate it Well, I don't know, uh, you know There's one group of people that love to disenfranchise Voters and it's
1: not Republicans It's definitely Democrats Right, and, and, and speaking of Democrats I think this is so important and you certainly are are touching on it there, that these are not your parents and grandparents Democrats, right? These Democrats of the 2020s, of this current day, meaning uh, old school liberals have practically disappeared from American public life. These are committed leftists. These are actual Marxists. And, you know, listen, I was uh, born and raised and, and lived... For five decades in the city of Chicago, I raised a family in the city of Chicago. Chicago has always been a very heavily Democratic city, but it used to be a place where you had these sort of daily Democrats who weren't particularly ideological. It was much more uh, really just frankly about power uh, in the city of Chicago. And and they, they certainly were not <laughs> radicalized. Right. Yeah. A very different, at least old man daily. I'm talking about a very different kind of Democrat. And those kinds of Democrats were very common. And I actually had a lot of those types of Democrats in my family uh, and I think uh, a lot of Catholic families particularly around America did um that that Democrat party is gone is that I mean it, it, am I being too harsh uh you know I believe that it is it is a fully they'll never use the term but it is a fully marxist party now is that correct
0: No, that's exactly right, and um, you can you can tell that this is not your grandfather's party by the fruits of their policies, right? They this is a party. Think about where the Clintons took the party, right? They in the '90s on abortion, as one example, right? They said we want to make abortion safe, legal, and rare. Hillary Clinton, she can't say that anymore. She'd be kicked out of the party. She'd be a Republican today. Right. Okay. That, that's basically the Donald Trump uh, platform is like we want to make, you know, 15 week limits, or, you know, whatever it is like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton in the 90s would be Republicans today. Their, their, their most aggressive policy on the LGBT issue was don't ask, don't tell right Mm -hmm. they they wanted to allow gays to serve in the military as long as they didn't tell anyone right this is not your grandfather's party it's not even your uncle's party uh democratic party It, it is it has changed so quickly and i believe i think there's one main person to blame for that and i think it's barack obama Barack Obama, uh, he said in the beginning that he wanted to fundamentally transform this nation. And he said, he was asked in the interview, who are your role models as president? And everyone was thinking that he was going to say FDR or Lyndon Johnson or JFK. He said Ronald Reagan. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is he? Barack Obama wants to be Ronald Reagan. How can he compare himself? He's a leftist. And what he said was... I believe that Ronald Reagan fundamentally transformed this nation and shifted it further to a right. And it lasted decades uh, in a way that, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter didn't that, in a way that Bill Clinton wasn't able to. I want to do the same thing for the country, except in the leftward manner. Well, he's more, if you were to compare how Reagan shifted this country in the trajectory of it versus how Barack Obama has, Barack Obama wins that, but not for the right reasons. He wins it right. for how much destruction he brought to the this country we are still barack obama is behind all but look look, i'm getting kind of sidetracked here they fundamentally transformed the Democratic Party into a radical Marxist progressive party. And it's not just because of the policies they're saying, uh, or they're supporting, it's how they're defending them. Steve, you, you've you been watching APP and been helping us actually for years. When we first started running the, the, the women's sports ads, attacking Democrats for wanting to put gender identity into civil rights law. Gender, they wanna put transgenderism into civil rights law, like that's radical enough, right? When we were attacking them for destroying girls' sports, the media, in a chorus, all together, they all had the same line. This isn't happening well, yeah, it's not happening yet because your state hasn't put gender identity into civil rights law. Marxists lie without remorse. they're sociopaths. they will defend their policy they they then we start attacking Joe Biden for saying he supported sex change for minors. He never said that he he doesn't support that he does. And he named Rachel Levine, uh, Richard, Levine, formerly Richard Levine, as the head of all of the uh, health policy and then directing transgender health care for, for the youth in this country. They lie without remorse. That's a tactic from the Marxists. And mm-hmm. and their policies are Marxist. So, so if
1: it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Right. And, and that's what we're dealing with today. Well, and speaking of Chicago, unfortunately, and I hate this as a Chicagoan, uh, to have to sort of own this as somebody who used to live in Chicago, I finally got chased out by the leftists. But, but uh, Saul Alinsky, um, you know, who's really in many ways the intellectual godfather of these Marxists, had tremendous uh, influence upon Barack Obama, among other uh, leaders of the, of the Marxist Democrat Party. I, I believe it's, it's a demonic party. I don't think it's I don't think it's an exaggeration to call it Marxist. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it is a demonic influence in American society when you are literally chopping the healthy sex organs off of children Uh, That is demonic. And there's there's no other way to describe it now. uh, But again, we 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 have to curse that darkness, but we can't stop there. Right. We have to also light the candle. And that's what you do so effectively at APP is to also present uh, the affirmational aspirational positive uh, vision of what we want families to be and what we want our society to be. Um, and on, along that line, you know, when, we, when we're talking about uh, pro-life, uh, and here's where I want to get down to, to tactics from you because uh, you're not just good on the vision stuff, but also on the on the tactics. Uh, we had two referendums, pro-life referendums fail in Ohio and Kansas. Well, in Ohio, it was basically a pro-life referendum. I mean, it, even though it wasn't just explicitly so, it was certainly sold that way. Uh, but two conservative states, two red states that you know, Donald Trump easily won, of course, in the 2020 election, um, and yet pro-life referendums fail. Is this a warning for us? Do we need to change tactics? What is your vision for how uh, in the post row era, thank goodness we're in a post row era, uh, what's, what is the way, what, what's the path for the pro-life movement to win politically?
0: Well, uh, first and foremost, I, I want to say that um, it is a very pivotal time for the pro-life movement. Um, after dobbs dobbs really shook things up and i think for a few reasons one is i don't i think that donald trump because he was such a a different type of republican and what i mean by that is a a republican that actually delivered on his promises uh he delivered the overturn of roe much quicker uh, than i think the pro-life movement was was expecting and i think a lot of them were expecting this decision to come down in a few years Um, but so i think that there's some transition happening right now i think that we're working things out but we have to work things out much quicker because if we don't if we continue to get more losses on the pro-life movement uh, we're going to see the republican party possibly abandon that in the same way that they abandon fighting and opposing gay marriage they will essentially just say these losses are costing us real power and the American people have spoken. It, it, they will abandon the pro-life issue incredibly quickly if we don't figure out how to win. Um, so, I, you know, for right now, I'm, I dismiss anyone that's saying that a 15-week limit isn't good enough. Um, because you're not selling heartbeat well enough. You're not getting the, the, the first trimester stuff. You're not doing the life of conception stuff. It, that's all very unpopular. When the, what we're seeing is that the American people, in poll after poll after poll, they don't like all abortions, right? They don't want unrestricted, unregulated, no, no limits whatsoever, protections for the unborn at all. They hate that, but they also don't like zero access to abortion because they've we've had Roe v. Wade as as the uh, law of the land for the past fifty years. So what we're telling voters. I'm sorry. What we're telling politicians to do is, if you want to start winning on abortion, you have to make Democrats pay a price for their late-term abortion extremism. And the best way to do that is to endorse a 15-week national limit that has exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. And you can, people can tell you, you know, oh, well, they'll just take advantage of that. Take advantage. No, we got to win back elections now. We have to. We have to win back power, and then we can govern. And the best way to win back power is to go where the American people are. The founders. Pulled the voters of this country in charge of who represents them and in order to win them over you have to support policies that they're supportive of and what voter poll after poll after poll shows is that voters support at least a 15-week limit on abortion with exceptions for rape incest and life of the mother that's where they're at. Then poll after poll, and it's a two-to-one margin when you do Republican that supports the 15-week limit versus a Democrat that supports no limit. It's a two-to-one margin. So we have to make the Democrats, at a minimum, we have to start attacking them for late-term abortion support. Um, What we saw in the midterms, Democrats spent half a billion dollars on abortion, attacking Republicans, claiming that they wanted to ban all abortions without exception. That's not true, number one, but without a response from the Republicans, they're getting branded now as supporting, restricting all abortions and eliminating them all. Um, It's terrible and we have to start fighting back and punching, otherwise we're going to lose. Democrats are not going away. They spent half a billion dollars in 22, they'll spend a billion dollars in 2024. So we've got to figure out how to win this and how to sell this stuff to the American people. And, And I think the best, easiest, quickest path to winning back the American people on this is to get us up to European standards, 15 weeks limit with exceptions. And, and I think
1: then you'll start to, um, to turn the tide and, and win back elections. Yeah. Well, and you make such important points there. You know, the unfortunate reality is with Roe being the law of the land for a half century, um, we have a lot of work to do to rebuild a culture of life in this country. Uh, that's just the, the reality. and It's going to take decades to to do that. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of prayer. But in the meantime, you're exactly right. We, we need to achieve the political victories that we can, that are actually workable um, now in the near term. And I think you're exactly correct on this point that, believe me, uh, as much as the Democrats ran on abortion in the last election, they are going to turn it up many fold in the coming election. And the reason is because... Because they don't want to talk about the economy which is by far the number one issue on most voters minds it's not abortion as important as it is for those of us you know who believe in in the sanctity of life uh it's it's not even close to the economy in terms of the primacy and you know the the sequencing Mm -hmm. of of and prioritizing of issues out there and because the economy is such a miserable issue for the democrats and they don't want to come anywhere near talking about bidenomics Uh, They're going to, I think, almost exclusively campaign on abortion. And so given that, you're exactly correct. We have to have um, the right kind of messaging and the right counteroffensive, you know, against them. I mentioned that earlier in the culture war. We have to have the right counteroffensive in uh, in defense of life. You also mentioned gay marriage. And I think this is important. And I want to use this as a a method to get uh, into a a bigger discussion, because I see a lot of folks on the right who who argue, um, particularly in sort of activist or more intellectual circles of politics about is is. Uh, Politics downstream from culture, or is it the other way around? uh, And culture is downstream from politics. And my answer is when they say, "Is it either or?" Is is yes, it's both. It's all. It's all a mix. And what I would use for that, and the reason I mentioned gay marriage is Proposition Eight in California, which was passed in 2008. A lot of people don't even realize this. It was only 15 years ago. It's not that long ago. In liberal California, on the left coast of the United States, Proposition 8, which which enshrined traditional one-man, one-woman marriage as state law in California, uh, made it part of the California Constitution. Uh, Proposition 8 passed overwhelmingly, passed with a super majority in California. But once it was struck down by the courts, once it no longer became law, um, and once a Obergefell became the law of the land, unfortunately, in the United States, gay marriage has ceased to even be something that can be discussed in other words i mean it's disappeared uh as an issue so i think and i I bring that up terry to try to convince folks out there particularly a lot of faithful christians because i think there's a lot of of bible believing church attending christians out there who who want to uh pretend that they can ignore politics and i would give them prop eight as example a b and c of why you cannot ignore politics because politics will change the culture incredibly quickly you agree with that sentiment
0: no, I agree. With, I agree with you on that. I, I do think it's a both and. I think that we need to work um, across the cultural institutions. But the reality is, Steve, that politics is our quickest way to start turning things around, right? The Democrats are using the $6 trillion in the federal budget every single year. They're tying strings to it. They make all of our schools do these diversity and inclusion and equity programs. They, they make the schools do all the transgender stuff. The feds use, they leverage every single federal dollar, and there's $6 trillion of them every single year that gets spent, and they're using that to change the culture and the country, right? And so we have to start turning things around we have to get involved in politics take back power and reverse that right why for example right our schools are teaching our kids with crt and dei programs that america is a systemically evil and racist country built on white supremacy what business does the federal government have what interest does the federal government have Making kids learn this, making their future citizens, their future voters, their future taxpayers hate their own country, hate their own government. Who, who does that serve? It serves revolutionaries, right? It's a bad use of tax dollars. Our next members of Congress and our next president need to do everything they can to ban the funding of that stuff. If you are teaching that stuff, you no longer get federal aid. Why do I get, Joe Biden threatens student lunch program money against schools who don't allow boys to compete against girls in sports, uh, you know, on this whole trans stuff. We should be doing that not on transports. We should be restricting funding to schools who teach kids to hate their country. We right. should be restricting funding to schools who are teaching kids weird sex stuff and weird gender stuff. Why? They're anti. It's not just weird. It's anti-science. It's anti-truth. It's anti-human. Right? We should. We need to use politics to take back power and to reverse course. See, we looked at this so much. Almost every problem that we're going through, the 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 racism stuff. Where did the racism stuff come from? It came from laws. It came from the government. It came from politics. They were pushing this stuff. The the affirmative action. Barack Obama. Race relations were doing pretty darn good, and I know that because I'm white, and all my heroes growing up were black, right? And I didn't even think of them as black. I just saw them as like great athletes and great singers and great cooks. Like I didn't think about race growing up but now everyone's talking about race and that's because of barack obama and all these guys that made it r- so anyway I, i'm sorry i'm drowning you know I'm, I'm lingering on now but
1: politics no, a, affects everything point. i'm glad you brought that up about, about barack obama i actually cited these statistics in a, in a previous episode of this show when barack obama took office and, and so the polling backs up you know your personal sentiment so it's not just anecdote i think it's true on the macro um you know the Uh, Racial reconciliation and racial healing was largely achieved, and particularly among young people, right? It's incredibly difficult to find a racist young person in the United States. And when Barack Obama took office, according to New York Times polling, New York Times CBS polling, uh, two-thirds of Americans said that race relations were good. And then the paradox is we elect the first black president of the United States who did nothing but divide America on the basis of race. Right. Rather than being the kind of grand healer that he could have been. I mean, like I said, the momentum was already there anyway. Um, he could have been a, a tremendous force you know, for fully recognizing racial reconciliation in this country. Instead, he went exactly the other way. Uh, and used race to divide us throughout his eight years And by the time he left office It had literally exactly flipped Two-thirds of Americans said that race relations were bad At the end of his tenure So uh, he, he was the most divisive figure in American politics And here's my fear And I, look, I don't know this And people out there might call me a conspiracist for saying this uh, but I, I think you can make a very strong case that he is still largely in charge and largely directing uh, the agenda at the White House right now. Remember, that Barack Obama did not leave Washington D.C. He moved blocks away from the White House. I don't think anybody who's reasonable believes that Joe Biden uh, is truly commanding the ship over there at the White House, which then leads to the question: Well, who is? Uh, is it Kamala Harris? Is it his chief of staff? Is it are the cabinet officers, or uh, is it Barack Obama? And I, I think it's reasonable to at least uh, theorize that it is that it is still Barack Obama and that he's responsible for some of these super radical policies coming out of the Biden White House. Uh, but listen, you you've got your ear to the ground in Washington, D.C. more than I do. What do you what do you think on that theory?
0: Look, you and I both know how rare it is for a president to stay in Washington, D.C. Uh after their term after their second term or even first term. Uh, but I think that there's a couple things going on is one, the media totally changed. Uh, under Barack Obama, right? They they beat the crap out of George W. Bush. And by the way, they also kind of beat the crap out of Bill Clinton, right? Well those guys wanted to get the hell out of Dodge uh, after after the media was actually somewhat fair still. But the 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 media treated uh, Barack Obama and Michelle more kindly than like Ben Affleck and J Lo when they were dating, right? Like they <laughs> it was it was soft. It was all supportive. We were told nonstop that Michelle Obama Obama is the most beautiful and wonderful First Lady we've ever had. Meanwhile, she's out on camera saying that she hates this country and didn't love it until Barack Obama, or her husband, won a caucus state. Right? Like these people hate our country and and they they are they're obsessed with destroying it. Right? And, and who could blame them? Right? It is it, it, so many people have tried, and it wasn't until Barack Obama that people actually started thinking like my kids aren't going to have a good future. Right. Every other generation basically inherited a better America than their parents had, except for my kids now. Right. And yeah. even probably my generation of millennials are not going to have as good of a country as our parents. You know, my dad, Steve, uh, you know, he was basically your generation. He was super, super old, like way old. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm he, no, he, he, was, uh, he was 57. But, you know, he grew up in the 80s. He didn't have a college degree. Uh, yeah. He, uh, you know, just worked really hard. And he was a successful business guy, opened pizza places, sold insurance, served a term in Congress, right? That that's that's so rare, and that was that was Gen X. I think that was the last easy American generation. But they had their own problems, right? Like you guys had to deal with the crack epidemic, right? The, all, all this crazy new stuff coming up. Um, I, I, things have just gotten so bad. It's so sad, but it, and it's all. You could tie the opioid epidemic to government policy, right? Like the government was approving things that they shouldn't have been approving at the FDA. Every single problem that we're going through is government related. That's why I get so annoyed with people when they tell me that culture or the politics is downstream culture. Sometimes. But you're going to tell Mm -hmm. me that Hollywood has people care more about what Hollywood figures say on who to vote for uh, than they do uh, what the FDA does. You think the FDA's decisions about opioids and and things like Oxycontin that had less of an effect on our lives than who J-Lo endorsed for president last go around? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Right. Like some some of these things are not like the other. And I think that government policy is very strong. It's meant to be. um, And it's changed our culture. For the negative, uh, for for, right. for a few decades now, but it's really ramped up lately. Let
1: me ask you about an uh, I think very dangerous cultural force, and thankfully, though you and your organization, American Principles Project, are taking action on this, and that is pornography and its effect on young children. You know the fact that now. Almost everyone in America has a smartphone at a relatively young age and therefore access to unlimited, very, very hardcore, even violent pornography, something that never existed in society before. Right. Um, You know, a brand new phenomenon. And um, unfortunately, in most states in the the United States, there are literally no safeguards. Um, And America is exceptional in the wrong way here, by the way, because most of the world does have safeguards and they're not foolproof, of course. uh, But there are at least measures taken to try to prevent Children from being able to access this, you know, terrible world of, of pornography and, and even dangerous, por- uh, violent pornography. Um, but there's some successes. So please tell us about what American Principles Project is doing and what is happening at the state level to try to protect children um, from that, that cultural filth that rot for their brains.
0: Well, our our ultimate goal is to get nationwide verification, age verification, right? It is, I don't think, unreasonable uh, to require porn sites to verify the age of their viewers before they deliver the smut that they want to deliver to them. We have the technology is there. We already use it for online sports betting. We use it for online alcohol sales. We use it for tobacco sales online and nicotine sales. It's there. Uh, right. And there's really no excuse for not doing it. The only excuses, if you find them, are going to be garbage excuses. Uh, they'll tell you, we, don't, we can't define what pornography is. It's too nebulous and it's, it's just really difficult uh, to define what pornography is. Well, if that's the case, then how come every night when I turn on ABC, NBC, CBS, or any of these broadcast stations, I never have to worry about seeing hardcore sex scenes? It's because the FCC already has obscenity statutes on the books that define what constitutes obscenity online, um, on the airwaves. Um, we just haven't been enforcing it. You know, Steve, this whole thing is rooted. The whole reason why we have an online porn industry in the beginning, in the first place, is because the federal government created it. The federal government literally had a law on the books that banned pornography online, essentially required age verification, and the Supreme Court struck it down. And it turned a very small porn industry that was online showing just basically naked women, your grandfather's Playboy magazine content, And it turned it into what it is today, which is pornography embedded in lots of sites that are not pornographic, uh, hardcore videos of of very violent scenes as the norm, right? This is the norm now. It's not just, it's not your grandfather's playboy. Um, And and it's all because of the government. It's all because the federal government created that. Uh, And in that Supreme Court decision that struck the communications decency law down, they actually said, you can go read it. They said, we can apply these standards to television and radio because the internet, uh, because they're, they're pervasive in our lives, but the internet is very small and slow, and it's not pervasive in our lives. Steve, I don't know the last time I watched broadcast television outside of football, right? right. Like I watched the NFL, I watched the NCAA football, that's it. Uh They're just idiots, right? They really created an entire porn industry that got an entire generation hooked on porn. You know, if I I could go back and change one thing about my life, I'd make sure that when I was 10 years old, I never saw that Playboy magazine, right? This stuff is so bad and it changes your priorities. When you sexualize a kid, they're no longer a kid. Uh-huh. You, you, they're now looking at girls in the wrong way. You're not worried about sports. You're not worried about a lot of things. You're looking at girls and and that's just at like a very basic minimum i talked to social workers that work in philadelphia that work with kids not just that are sexually abused but the ones that are sexual abusers themselves Uh, believe it or not steve there are kids that sexually abuse other kids and they're in these programs she said that the the common denominator among all those kids that are abused sexually abusing other kids is pornography use and she said what they do is They stay up all night long watching porn on their smartphones or iPads and then they go to school the next day. Well, since they stayed up all night long from the adrenaline rush they get from watching porn, they're falling asleep in the classroom. So they're not learning how to read, they're not learning how to write, they're not learning how to do math. And then when they get back home, they're back on the porn gamut and watching that nonstop. It's 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 literally a form of brainwashing, and it's making people stupid. I mean, there's a whole generation of just yeah brain dead porn addicts right now, and if that's a very dangerous uh, country to raise little kids in right right i don't i don't yeah. want my kids around other little kids that are watching porn that that is very dangerous right because yeah. uh, those no, kids don't know yeah. limits
1: i totally agree with you that we need a national law but in the meantime uh you know for those of us who are fortunate enough to live in in red states uh we need these all of these right and action is is unfolding thankfully but we need it to be accelerated in these red states need to protect children you know right now uh, and they can this last question i want to ask you on this regarding red states. so my my new home state of tennessee which i'm thrilled to live in one of the reddest states in all of america i think we have the most badass legislature in the entire country uh (laughs) thankfully uh looking out for families and because they look out for families they banned these you know, these so-called drag storyteller uh storytime uh instances right where where want to uh cross dress in front of children and and read books to them and often read from books that are as perverse as the as the storytellers themselves so this was banned in the, any kind of drag in front of children in the state of Tennessee well not uh too surprisingly federal courts uh, at least for now have overturned the ban Uh, I'm of the view that we have reached a point where the courts are so abusive that these red states need to start thwarting the courts. I mean, I really, and I know that that invites a certain lawlessness, and I know that I'll get attacked from a lot of folks on the left about that for even suggesting it, but we can't allow these federal courts to legislate for the good people of Tennessee or the good people of Louisiana, uh, who, who make very different determinations for their state than the people of Illinois and New York are going to make, but uh, am I being too aggressive by saying that they need to at, at times defy? You know what are clearly illogical and and extra constitutional rulings by some of these courts.
0: No, I, I, we need to stop letting the courts uh, determine the future of this country. And and just real quick to point out on the porn stuff, we've gotten eight states uh, to protect kids from porn online. So we're building momentum um, for age verification at the state level. And then hopefully we can get a national law. I just want to point. I, just, I realized I got carried away talking, yeah, but we no. need to, we need to reject when the courts start legislating, we need to reject it entirely and we need to punish them. Right. When, when the court came out, if I was president or in charge at that time, when the court came out with a burger fell, I would have immediately passed a law that said that the courts cannot rule on the definition of marriage. I would have taken that ability away from them, or I would have just treated that case as applying only to those people in. The courtroom that that the court that the case was around. We need to stop having these blanket. Lo- Think about how it works in this country. When it's a left wing decision, when it's left wing victory at the Supreme Court, it's broad, it's sweeping, it affects every single aspect of this country. But when it's a Republican or a conservative decision, oh no, no, no! This just applies to certain employers uh, with so many employees. They don't have to abide by this. This applies only to Jack Phillips and his little coffee, sh- or, you know, his little cake shop in, in Colorado. Our decisions are so narrow. And and we argue for these narrow protections, but theirs are broad and sweeping and, and change the entire face of this country. You look at everything. Steve, they got prayer out of public school, and you fast forward 60 years to today. That was 1962. They got rid of prayer in public school. 60 years ago now, or 60 years today, uh, they're teaching kids how to twerk. They're doing drag queen story hour. They're teaching kids how to change their gender. They're go- they're going after parents. They're using the FBI to investigate parents as domestic terrorists. I don't know. I think I'd rather have prayer in public schools than drag
1: queens in public schools. One thing <laughs> seems
0: a little bit better for my kids.
1: Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, so listen, where should folks go who want to follow you, your work and uh, everything that American principles project is doing?
0: Um, look, just check us out on the web. We're, we're the NRA for families. We, we're not doing anything that's rocket science. We just are w- brave enough and willing enough to fight and engage in these battles for the American family. We treat the family like every other special interest group treats their special interest group. We, f- we, we engage in elections. We unelect the bad guys and replace them with good pro-family champions. And then we leverage all of that into passing new laws to protect our children and our families. It's very simple. But you can check us out at American Principles Project org um, and you can see our campaign ads. I love our campaign ads, Steve. I know I send them to you every now and then. Yep. They're hard hitting. Some of them are funny. Some of them, you know, are engaging. But check us out because we're doing things that a lot of other groups aren't doing. We're filling a much needed gap, which is the political gap, the campaign election gap for the family. Um, right. And you have to have a special temperament for that, Steve. You know, you got to have a pugnacious attitude. And a lot, ironically, a lot of people in D.C. don't have that pugnacious attitude uh, when it comes to these issues but i'm just i got so many damn kids man i can't i have no other excuse besides fighting and making sure that i did everything i can to
1: protect them Yes. Well, and you are certainly doing that. And, and thank you for it. You're doing amazing patriotic service uh, and you're, and you're also really fulfilling a, a godly ministry uh, by trying to fight for families and effectively reform our society. So thank you for everything you do. I encourage all the Patriots out there uh, to please check out American principles project and their work. Uh, also follow me on social media. I'm at Cortez Steve on the Twitter now known as X uh, Cortez with an S Cortez Steve. Um, and also go to the league of American American workers. A lot of the things we are advocating for in the League of American Workers are very similar to the goals for families uh, that Terry Schilling is talking about. Terry, thank you for being here. So appreciate it. Thanks so much, Steve. You bet. Thanks, Patriots. See you next episode.